You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. co-host today joey ikes and we're gonna be a little nice and a little mean today we're gonna do a a cool show we got the draft coming up here in about two and a half three weeks now um and we're just gonna go through a couple guys each that we are higher on um than most and a couple guys that we are lower on than most but before we praise some guys and i guess you can say knock some guys uh joey you hanging in there today yeah, absolutely, man. We are, like you said, just a little over two weeks now before the draft, which is uh, pretty crazy. I'm excited for it to get here and, you know, finally have answers as to uh, who the newest members of the Dallas Cowboys are. Um, but we will uh, we'll go from there. It's kind of crazy because every year, like, who the Cowboys draft is so important to their success for that season, I feel like. This yes. year it almost feels like, don't get me wrong, like it still is, but it almost feels like they aren't, is heavily reliant on the draft class. So it's like, I'm, I'm still super excited for the draft, but I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, they could kind of screw this one up and it probably not hurt, but if they nail it, then it could be huge. So that's a little bit different vibe than we've had going into uh Cowboys drafts and in, in years past. Yeah, absolutely. Usually their, their first round pick. And then to an extension of that, their second round pick is like the biggest resource right. that they spend in terms of acquiring new talent for the season. And like if we just if we just took ourselves to the a point where if we take the Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks trades out of the equation, we're back in that place. We're looking at you got to get a starting corner, you got to get a starting wide receiver, you got to go, you know, you got to deal with this offensive line situation potentially, all these things going on. But you know, they just took care of business in March, and now here we are in the middle of April, looking towards the end of April, going, you know, there's a lot of guys that they could pick. Um, early in this draft that could help short and medium term which is a, a pretty great place to be to be honest yeah no doubt no doubt well let's uh let's stay on a positive note to start and um I'll let you start it off what's one guy that you're higher on than maybe the consensus is right now I think probably well I think it depends on who we who we use as a consensus right because if sure. if we use like you know you go through these pff mock draft scenarios right and They've got my guy Darnell Washington like 68th overall sure, in the sure. whole draft for, but he he always winds up getting picked in the 30s. So like obviously the consensus has him a little higher than that. But I think probably the first guy is probably Kobe Turner, who we've talked about quite a bit on the show. Um, I think this guy is like a late day two defensive lineman who comes in and just eats up a ton of snaps and plays really well. He's not going to be like. 
you know, you're not picking him in the first round because he's not going to be probably a big impact player in the passing game. But you put this guy on the field in rundowns and and even in some passing situation, and he's gonna he's gonna hold up, he's gonna make plays, and he's gonna eat up those snaps. That really and truly, that's almost what you're looking for on the defense in the interior defensive line is just somebody to eat up rundown snaps, get some stops in the run game, which he's incredible at, and then give your pass rushers a chance to go. And that's what Kobe Turner does. And so that's probably my first guy that I'm a little higher than the consensus on. What about you? Um, I'm going to start it. That's a good one, by the way. Like I said, like I feel like like he's a dude who just like doesn't have that ideal like size. You know, he's a little undersized for the interior, you know, just 290 pounds. Um, but man, he's just super solid across the board. Plays a run well, offers some, you know, pass rush ability. So um for mine, and and I know this isn't a name that like people haven't heard of, but I think Broderick Jones is the best offensive lineman in this class. Um, and let me let me rephrase that. He's my highest graded offensive lineman in this class. I think he's 21. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's 6'5", 3'11", almost 35-inch arms. He's got massive hands. He run the he run a ran a seven uh sub uh five second 40, 30-inch vertical, a nine uh nine foot broad jump. Um, he's just a big, athletic, long uh, tackle. He's a true left tackle, I think. Um, I think if you needed to bulk him up and play him at guard, you could, but but I don't know why you would need to. Um, but I just I think he's a dude who has those high ceiling traits. I think we talked about him a couple weeks ago. I think he has some of that Andrew Thomas to his game where year one he'll be fine, you know, but you might be leaving year one and going, man, did we miss out on a Paris Johnson or a Peter Skaronsky, but by year two, year three, you're having, you know, one of the top, if not the top left tackles um, in this class. And and I just, I, a lot of people have him as like a late first round guy, you know, the the third tackle in this class for me, maybe some, some people even have him as the fourth tackle behind a Darnell Wright. But for me, I think he's the highest traits um, tackle in this class. And I think he's got the highest ceiling out of any tackle in this class. And I think he's, He's relatively pro ready too, so I think he's going to come in and be my, be my, you know, guy that I'm just higher on than most people. And while he's still a first round player, I just I I seem like I like him a lot more than other people. Yeah, I think that the way you describe him is is you do a really great job of describing why you feel the way you feel about him. And the and the Andrew Thomas comp is a great one in that. When the Giants made that pick, everybody looked around and went, really? He's the yeah. first offensive lineman off the board? Like, with all these other guys there available, they took him? And then all he's turned into is, you know, one of the best left tackles in the game in the yeah. first couple of years that he's been there. And so uh, so that's a that's a really great one. Um, I'm going to go with – I was going to say, it's hard not to bet on Georgia offensive linemen, too, like – Jamari Sawyer last year was like a later round guy who, you know, a lot of people, I liked him a lot last year too. And he came in and he was, you know, a starter for most of the year. It's just like they, those, those, those guys at Georgia seem to fight their way into lineups and play on the offensive line pr- pretty well. Yeah. And it's one of those things like think about the guys they're going against in practice every day. Like this guy's going against Nolan Smith every day in practice. Like, of course he's getting better. He was going against Trayvon Walker last year. And, you know, (laughs) these other guys, like, of course they're going to get better. Of course they're going to come into the NFL ready to be able to, to, to play and to improve because 
they've been going against guys that are going at the top of the first round every year um, in practice every single day. And we know, for, you know, we hear things about the Alabama practices and, you know, Kirby Smart comes from that tree. So I can imagine what a Georgia football practice looks like that, um, that these guys are getting great work and it's, it's school. You don't scout the helmet, right? That's the saying, but there's, a, there is definitely an understanding of what a guy's coming from when he comes from a certain school that, um, that makes you willing to say, Hey, I'm going to bet on this Georgia offensive lineman, just like I would bet on a Notre Dame offensive lineman. Cause I know the quality of the O-line coach there or yep. the Wisconsin offensive lineman or Iowa, same deal. Uh, and so it, it definitely is a thing where you don't scout the helmet, but, you give these guys a little bit of benefit of the doubt in that they're going to get everything that they have to get. They're going to get that out of themselves. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Who's your, uh, who's your set or here? We'll back bounce back and forth. Who's the one guy of the two we're going to talk about that you're just like, I just don't see it with them. And I, I know we've talked about some of these guys throughout the week. So I was going to try to go a little bit different direction. Like I know, you know, you might not see with Mozzie Smith a, a little, you know, bit as much as a consensus, but is there somebody else that we haven't really touched on these last couple shows that we've done that you're just, you just don't see it quite as much as everybody else. Yeah. There's, this is a funny draft because it feels like there's a lot of those guys, but for, for this one, I, I'll go same position and same area of the draft. I'm going to go with Brian Breesey from Clemson and that like, a lot of places have him, you know, in the top 20 part of the draft. He's 21st on PFF's board. And, like, the side, the height and weight and all that kind of stuff, spectacular. And then I watch him play, and I'm like, he's not even the most impactful defensive lineman on his team with a number in the teens. Yeah. Like, you know, he's wearing number 11, and I'm just sitting here watching number 13 wreck pockets. And I'm like, what is – like, why are, we, why are we watching Brian Breesey? Why are we talking about these other guys? Um, and so, like, the sack production is okay and lots of hurries this year, but I just don't see it when I watch him play. I don't see a super impactful guy that is just going to come in and, and and be the kind of guy that just wrecks pockets in the NFL. And if I'm using a, a first-round pick on a defensive tackle, like, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I just don't see that with him. Now, he's the kind of guy who – because of the size and the athleticism and all that kind of stuff, you put him in the right situation. And maybe Dallas is that right situation with all the talent they have up there and with Dan Quinn and Arden Dirty and the the uh, coaching that they get here. Maybe that's the scenario, but I, I don't I don't see a top 20 player when I watch Brian Breesey at Clemson. Yeah, and, and like I said, like he's one of those guys that has some, you know, I guess some some stuff to work through too. You know, he's – you know, he dealt with multiple illnesses over the last year or two at Clemson. His his sister passed away from cancer. Like that's you always know, kind of got to preface it with that. It was like, yeah, he was going through a lot, and, and that that might end up being a steal for a team because he really didn't play up to his traits. I mean, he was a super high um, high school recruit coming out. You know, like one of the the top guy. I think he was number one high school recruit in the country, if I'm not mistaken, when he was coming out of high school. Um, and he just never really played up to that level, and I think. You know, like I said, like he had a really good year two years ago, and then he, you know, he's battled some illnesses, some injuries, and he went through uh, this year, you know, losing a sister. So I think that's that's something that might impact his play. Um, he played really good, you know, down the stretch this year, but just the consistency wasn't there at at all times. And I'm with you, like like I said, like I I don't I don't I like Breesy, but I'm with you. Like it's like I would maybe take him, you know, 
at the back of the first, early second, but I don't think you're getting a difference maker there unless all those things that I just mentioned really just threw him off over this last year, year and a half. And, you know, he's going to just, you know, he's got a clear head, clear vision. He comes in in the NFL and is ready to just take that next step. Yeah, absolutely. He's the guy to me that like, if you're pick, if you pick in the top 10 of the draft and you pick a guy that you really like, and then you come back around and your next pick is like 38 or something like that. And you pick him at 38 as your second, second guy you come out of the draft in. Like that's a, that's a home run swing at a really important position. That's when you take that swing. But like we talked about, and maybe it's a little different case for Dallas this year, you know, when, when your first round pick is the biggest swing you get and you're going to use that 26th overall pick on a, on a guy that, you know, yes, there's a ton of context and we got to give him some benefit of the doubt there. And, you know, you feel terrible for the guy dealing with all the injuries and the illnesses and losing his sister. Like I, I can't imagine dealing with all that while trying to go to college and trying to play football at the highest levels of college football. But all of that stuff removed, you are making a pretty significant projection um, in terms of the move to the NFL level. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do um, whenever you get there uh, in the, in the top 25 or top 20 of the draft for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I'm going to actually stick on the same position for my player. I'm lower on the most. And I know people have kind of soured on him a little bit, but he's still just, I see this this is harsh, but I just don't see it at all with Siaka Ika, the the uh, Baylor defensive tackle. Um, I mean, I just like I know some people still have him as you know like a top fifty, top sixty player. Um, for me, he's gonna be. He might end up still cracking my top one hundred, but man, like he's big. He's 335 pounds. I should say that because I don't think he always plays big. I think he plays actually relatively small for a big dude. Um, I mean, I I don't see a ton of power that he plays with. And for, again, a guy with 335-pound frame, you'd expect him to do that relatively well. Um, but I just I, I see a guy who doesn't play with the, uh, the power that you'd want from a 335-pound guy. Um think he struggles dealing with double teams he struggles at eating up space in the running game at times he gets moved he gets turned gets washed out of some run gaps um his his pads play high for for a shorter he's 335 so you'd expect him to play with that you know squattier kind of low pad level um you know play style but he plays high for a 630 guy and when you don't play with power and you play high you're just you're not bringing a whole lot to the table like I said like his his you know winning traits are that he's he's got a little bit of foot quickness to him for a 335 pound guy and he's a you know a relatively fluid athlete in in tight quarters but I just I I don't see a guy that that I mean I just don't see I know he was kind of like the the Vita Vea you know he was getting that kind of comp compared to him early on in this process and I mean, I would take him, you know, at 129. I wouldn't feel even great about the pick at 90, but if he was available at 129, I'd go, okay, maybe you can get those traits to those, you know, athletic traits for such a big guy to to, to finally, you know, find themselves. But just nothing about him is impressive in my opinion. You ran a 5'3", 940, a 188, 10-yard split, he has 7.80, three cone, and a 4.99, 20-yard shuttle. So the testing wasn't good. I wasn't impressed with the tape and 
his selling card is that he's 335 pounds, but I don't think he always plays like he's 335 pounds. So um, just not a guy that, that I think is going to be a constant contributor in the NFL. And that's where you're looking for in the top 100. And I think he's a guy that's been projected to kind of go in that top 60 picks and just hope my team's not the one to draft him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of those where, you know, and I think a lot of the, the hype, especially coming into the 2022 season, for hey, this guy's going to be the next Vita Vea. He's going to be that next big interior defensive lineman who can make an impact in the past game. Is he got 24 hurries and six sacks yeah. in 2021? So he had legitimate pass rush production from the inside in 2021. Um, but then in 2022, had zero sacks and <laughs> still had 15 hurries, which is you know not insignificant. Based, a little over one hurry per game for a, a defensive tackle who's playing 35 snaps a game, basically, and almost half of those are against the run, like, that's not insignificant, but if the only had three quarterback hits, no sacks, so, like, that, I think that's where a lot of the uh, a lot of the the tilt down in, in his production caused the, the drop a little bit on people souring on him a little bit. You know, early in the process, a lot of people thought of him as like a, a mid to late first round guy. Like he's yeah. the next he's, one. He was right? getting he's the next twenty six a lot. Yeah, he's he's the next Jordan Davis, the next uh, the next Vita Vea, like you said, that next big defensive tackle who can make an impact in the passing game, and because of that, is going to get elevated up boards. And because that pass rush production didn't follow this year, even though you know his win rate is really good um, for PFF. Um, his pass rush grade is really good. Um, it's not a, it's hard to draft that kind of stuff really high in a guy that big. Um, especially if, cause if all he is, is a defensive tackle who, you know, helps against the run. We, we just, the Cowboys just signed one of those for the vet minimum. Who's one of the best in right. the league at it. Like you don't have to spend any sort of premium on those guys at all. And, and so, uh, I guess that's my biggest thing is like he's not a run plugger. So it's like but he but again, like I think he's got some of that quickness that he played at at Baylor, you know, where he was able to beat some of the the slower footed interior defensive tackles, but it's like he's got a almost eight second three cone and a almost five second twenty yard shuttle. Like that those traits that you know that really show that quickness and explosive, you know, a one eight eight 10 yard split, you know, he didn't test explosives because I don't think he's all that explosive. So it's it's kind of like it's one of those ones where like do you do you scalp the tape or do you scalp the the statistics? And like like you said, like the hurries and the sacks were there one year, but man, it's like all the numbers are telling you that, you know, he's not really gonna succeed as a quick winner, as a pass per rusher, and he doesn't play with with a lot of technique and you know, good run traits. So it's like, what are we, like, what are we, what are we banking on here? Like, what are we going to get out of this guy? And if you're, if you're saying, Hey, you know, he had some hurries and he has, you know, he had the, uh, he had a little bit of production there his first year at Baylor. It's like, yeah, you can, you can bet on that production, but man, like there's nothing to really hang your hat on there. And that's what kind of scares me with him. Yeah. And one of the things that I think if, if you or I were, were scouts in an NFL scouting department, right? One thing we would look at, we'd probably go back and look at more of the 2021 tape to right. see, you know, how did that production come? Because um, looking at his profile on PFF, you know, he played 
about 500 snaps on defense in 2021, and those were split almost evenly, 50-50, between the A-gap and the B-gap. And then in 2022, he only played about 415 snaps. He played in one fewer game, but he played almost two to – or a little over two to one B-gap to A-gap. So he only played 135 snaps in the A-gap in 2022 as a 335 pound, you know, and there's, you wonder if he lost a little bit of weight for the combine too, to try to pull himself down. Like he may have been 345, 350 playing in Bay, playing at Baylor in the B gap. And you wonder like, if you put him in the A gap, is he able to be more productive from basically over the center? Like if he, if he has the chance to take advantage of the center's snap hand and get that crack and go, is that where he really has the opportunity to win? And if so, does the does the first step and the quickness and all that kind of stuff that um, that he was built up to have does that show in that situation when it may not necessarily show when he's a little further away from the ball with a guard who doesn't have to worry about a snap and react and all that kind of stuff. So that's the context that that I know I don't have going back to watch twenty twenty one tape to know but would be interesting to see. And I'm sure that's what NFL scouting departments have done as they try to figure this guy out who probably came in with, you know, pretty big Blesco and national scouting grades uh, coming into this thing as they try to figure him out. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's go. Let's go back to the positive route. Who you got um, is a guy that you're a little bit higher on than the most. So this is, this is going to be a pull right here. This is going to be a name. There's a pass rusher from Kansas. Tell me if that rem- that rings a bell for anything. The mm-hmm. Cowboys have one of those right now that I distinctly remember standing on the treadmill with my phone watching <laughs> Dorrance Armstrong play at Kansas and sending John Owning a message saying, John, have you seen this Dorrance Armstrong guy? There's another pass rusher from Kansas whose name Phelps. is Lonnie Phelps. Yes. Yep. And he – very, very, very low. He's you run the PFF mock. He's available in the seventh round in everyone. Like, and you look at it, the dude has twenty sacks in the last three years. Now, granted, he was a transfer into Kansas this past year. I'm trying to remember as I effort it here real quick. Trying to remember where he transferred to or where he transferred from Kansas. But oh, from Louisiana Tech. Uh, oh no, excuse me, not Louisiana Tech. Tennessee, Miami of Ohio. That's what it was. Uh, So he's at Miami of Ohio, transfers to Tennessee Tech, and then transfers to Kansas. Yes. And I think I was it. No, no, hold on. I think he went. No, it was just Miami of Ohio, and then and then 2022 he went to uh, to Kansas. Anyway, (laughs) transfer player into Kansas only played one year. Second team All Big 12, honorable mention All Big 12 for some defensive players of the year and all that kind of stuff, sort of honors. Had 10 sacks his last year at Miami of Ohio, uh, 13 and a half tackles for loss that year. Then he goes to Kansas and puts up eight sacks and 22 hurries and weighs 6'2, or weighs 6'2. He's 6'2, 244, 245. He's not that different of a physical profile than what Demarcus Lawrence was when he came into the league. Yeah, and the and the production is off the charts. Like I said, twenty sacks in three years, eighteen in the last two, 
40 hurries the last two years, tons of tackle for loss. And one of the things with PFF, they give a true pass set pass rush grade. His pass rush grade and true pass set, so not play action, not RPO, like we're going to line up and we're going to rush the passer, 87.3. That's up around like the 90th percentile of all the prospects in 2022. Uh, almost a 19% pass rush win rate. Like Now, granted, we're talking about he's in the seventh round on, the, on most of these mock drafts. I'd probably look at him in the fourth or fifth round because of the production and the uh, the production, the size. Now, I don't think he – he wasn't at the combine, I don't believe, or didn't test at the combine. But – and I can't – I haven't been able to, as I efforted this before the show today – oh, no, you know what? I did find it on NFL.com. Ran 4.55 at 245 pounds, and I think the 10-yard the split was like 1.6 – Two or something like that. And so let me let me double check it here. I'm killing you on this. Yeah, four five five, one six two, ten yard split, thirty one reps on the bench press, thirty two, almost thirty two and a half inch arms. So he's like early third day to mid third day. Draft this guy, and early he's going to be productive as a situational pass rusher, and. For the Cowboys, with the depth that they have this year and what they're looking at next year, Lonnie Phelps is a guy who would have my attention if I was in that room at the start for sure. Yeah, no, no, I, I watched him uh, a little bit a couple weeks ago, and um, as I'm trying to final finalize a couple guys, and like I said, like I think he's kind of got some of that, you know, outside linebacker defensive inflexibility. Um, you know, you talked about some of the athletic traits, size, you know, I think he's got, you know, I think he's one of those guys we talked about at the end of our mock draft show last week. Like he's one of those traitsy guys that you kind of take a chance on, you know, in the sixth or seventh round as you're just trying to, you know, strike lightning there at the end of the draft. And um, yeah, you know, Kansas has had a pretty successful track record of putting some, some defenders, some edge rushers, some defense linemen in the league. So um, he'd be on my radar as well, too, as, as a late day three. And if he somehow makes it as a you know undrafted free agent, then he's a guy you want to throw a little bit of money at and and see if he can come in and and uh, make the team. If not, be a practice squad guy for a year or two and, and really develop into maybe a contributor in year three or four. Yeah, and he um, – you always like the guys, or at least I do, with the transfer portal the way it's set up now, I like the guys who take a step up in competition – and then they don't see that much of a change in their production or their capabilities, right? He had 10 sacks at Miami of Ohio, transfers up to Kansas. You know, like, oh, it's Kansas. Kansas was a really good football team this year. Mm -hmm. If you didn't watch college football, Kansas was a really fun team. Their quarterback wound up getting hurt two-thirds of the way through the year, and they kind of fell off towards the end. But there was a point they were ranked pretty high nationally and were, and were playing really well. And this guy had, you know – eight sacks in the big 12 when he had 10 sacks in Miami of Ohio the year before and actually increased the amount of hurries that he had. And so he's just a guy that I'm all, you're always looking for edge rushers and you don't always want to have to take those guys in the first 50 picks if you can avoid it. Um, because it's just hard to go back to the well that many times for the same position. Um, and if you can get a guy like this on the third day, bring him into your program and then, get him some exposure this year and then have him be your third or fourth pass rusher in 2024. 
behind Sam Williams and Micah Parsons and DeMarcus Lawrence, hopefully back for another year, all that kind of stuff. Like if you could do that, that's a, that's a pretty good spot to be in with a, a day three pick like you had on, on Dorrance Armstrong a few years ago. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um... Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I think my guy that I'm higher on the most, and again, this is a name that I hate. I kind of hate the two I gave you because they're names that people will know, but um, Cedric Tillman, the receiver out of Tennessee. Um, he's one of the few ex receivers in this class. Um, actually ended up giving him a higher grade than Jalen Hyatt. Um, and in this process, like I said, he's 6'3, 213 pounds. Ran a four five four, a thirty seven inch vertical, a ten eight broad jump, a one five six ten yard split. Um, posted a nine five seven uh, relative athletic score, so the athletic traits are there, the size are there. Uh, he's got a big catch radius. Um, he showed the ability to beat some press coverage with physicality. Um, he's not great after the catch. He doesn't use his athletic traits in in size after the catch as much as you'd like to see. But as a guy who tracks the ball down the field being a vertical receiver, being a guy to kind of handle those extra responsibilities at a high level. Um, I think he does that really well. And anytime you can get a guy who's big, physical, and has the athletic traits, I think that that, you know, there's more of those guys that find success than the Laquan Treadwells of the world. Um, you know, he's not a dynamic, you know, change of direction guy, but I think he's pretty fluid getting out of in and out of his breaks and getting off the line with his releases. Um, so he's a guy, like I said, if – I'm a lot higher on him the most. I think if he was the pick at 58, I'd be pretty damn happy with that. You know, if he if he could somehow make it to you to 90 and he's the pick, I think that's, you know, that is a slam dunk. So um he's a guy that I, I like a lot. Like I said, there's there's not many big physical receivers in this draft class. And the ones that are, you know, over six two uh, don't really play with the physicality that you'd like to see at all times. So I think he plays a, a lot different than a lot of receivers in this class, and he's got the athletic traits and and length and catch radius and physicality, you know, catching the ball over the middle of the field and tra- ball tracking skills that you like to see. Um, like I said, his 2022 tape wasn't as great after he injured his ankle early in the season, but his 2021 tape's pretty damn good. And his 2022 tape down the, down the stretch of the season, I think, improved as he got a little bit healthier. So um he's my favorite of the two Tennessee receivers just because I think he has a little bit smoother transition uh to the NFL game and I think he's got a few more ways to win um than, than being just a, a burner that that can stretch the field vertically 
Yeah, I think that's a great one for for this. And the, the consensus on him, it feels like, has just been sort of consistently rising. There's like this wave of positivity towards Cedric Tillman. And I think a lot of that boils down to exactly the point that you talked about is that and we've been talking about this since we started this show two months ago, right? Is that the wide receivers in this class are just small. Yeah. And, you know, with Quentin Johnson not testing the way that a lot of people hoped he would test, you put that with some of the drop issues that he had at TCU, and maybe he he's not the slam dunk, you know, plug him in and be the big physical edge or not big physical X receiver that you, you know, were hoping he was early in the process. And then you combine that with all these tiny receivers and Cedric Tillman really is, is like, he's sort of the lone wolf. There is a big true X who can play that and um, has, has, you know, the offense is what the offense is at Tennessee, but it was super productive. He was super productive there. And, and he brings a set of traits that there just are not very many guys with that set of traits in this draft class draft class. And because of that, he's, probably going to get drafted higher than a lot of people think he probably will. And like you said, if he somehow makes it to 90 and that's the pick there, holy cow, what a slam dunk. Even if he, even if they decide, Hey, you know what? He's there at 58. We're going to need wide receiver help long-term anyway. Let's plug him in now. And he's wide receiver four as he gets accustomed to the NFL. And then by 2024, 2025, he's ready to be, you know, the Batman or the Robin to CD lambs, Batman, once Brandon cooks is gone and whatever happens with Michael Gallup, et cetera. That's a, uh, that's a, a really great situation to have a wide receiver in, in a world where um, you can almost never have enough wide receivers at this point in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, this year is the first year I've done it, but I'm, I'm mixing in like a bottom line thing in my draft guide where I kind of like, Hey, this is what this guy's role is. And then some guys I'm doing pro comps. And I mean, I, I know this guy's turned into a really good player, but like he's very, very close to being a Mike Williams guy, you know, a guy who's going to, he's big, he's physical. He doesn't do a lot of the underneath stuff. He doesn't do a lot after the catch, but you throw him the ball deep and he's going to catch it a lot of the times. And that's kind of what Mike Williams, you know, was coming out of Clemson and, while he struggled a couple, you know, a few years into his part of, you know, early part of the stages of his career, he's kind of turned that on recently. And I just, I, I see a lot of Mike Williams and Cedric Tillman's game. And I know that's, you know, not totally fair when you're looking at his size and, and athletic traits, because they're very close. But um, I just, when I watch him, I just get a lot of those same vibes that I got with Mike Williams when he was coming out of Clemson. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a great, potential comp for what he could wind up being, especially, you know, if you get him with the right quarterback that wants to work the ball outside the numbers to that big weapon out there, uh, you're going to have a, a really, a really nice opportunity for a great career for Cedric Tillman in the NFL for sure. Yeah. And just cause I know people are probably rolling my eyes. Cause you know, like I said, they, Mike Williams has turned into a really quality player in the league, but he, so Cedric Tillman is six foot three, 213 pounds. Mike Williams coming in is six foot four, two hundred and eighteen pounds. Uh, Mike Williams did not run the forty, did not do the ten yard split, but he jumped thirty two and a half inches in a ten one broad. Tillman jumped thirty seven and a half, half inches in a ten eight broad. So similar explosive guys, except Tillman's got a beat, and they're very similar in size. So that's kind of they play the same way too. So it's, I don't know. Like I said, I think they're they're very similar. Uh, maybe it's the orange in the jerseys coming out of college, but um. 
All right, let's uh, finish it off on a sad note. And your last player that you're not quite as high on as everyone else. We're going to stay at this. We've, we've kind of hit the same set of positions here, which is kind of interesting because <laughs> it's sort of the, the where we focused a lot of our attention on because of who the Cowboys are and all that kind of stuff. I'm not as high on Jordan Addison as the consensus is. And, you know, I saw a, a tweet from our buddy Jeff Cavanaugh that said, like, please just let Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers be available at 26 and let him be the pick. And then in the in the responses, he says, I'm just confident that if those guys are there and available, they will be the best player on the board and they should pick them. And I'm I'm not there with Jordan Addison at all. Yeah. Uh, when I watch it, I mean, and, and it it starts with two sets of numbers and that's five foot 11. 173 pounds and that's just really really small for an nfl wide receiver and i like that is who the that's that's what is available in this nfl draft i totally get it but like people want to use the um now I'm going to blank on his name, Devonta Smith, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, small receivers can succeed. Like the thing that people don't realize about Devonta Smith is Devonta Smith had like one of the best wingspans. He was extremely long for a for a wide receiver coming out of college. 69th percentile, almost 32 inch arms, 78 and a quarter inch wingspan for Devonta Smith. And he was physical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jordan, but his frame isn't physical, but Devontae Smith was a dog in Alabama. Yes, absolutely. Jordan Addison's wingspan is four inches shorter than Devontae Smith's were. And he does not play with the same physicality or play strength or anything like that that Devontae Smith played with at Alabama or has shown in the NFL. And even if he's a number two, right? Let's say he's a number two on a team the Cowboys play against. I can set Stefan Gilmore on that guy, and he will never touch the ball because he will never get off the line of scrimmage ever. And so, like, I have to spend a top 20 pick, a top 25 pick on a wide receiver who can't get off the ball unless he gets, unless you have to motion him all over the place and all this other kind of stuff. And even like Zay Flowers, yeah, way more consistent through. player, way more explosive from outside. And one of the things that's interesting about Jordan Addison, he went from Pitt, where he was the Blitnikoff Award winner in 2021, you know, had an unbelievable season catching balls from Kenny Pickett. Um, played basically 75% of his snaps in the slot. Goes to USC this year, only plays about, 20% of his snaps in the slot. His targets per game go down significantly. His receptions per game go down significantly. His yards per reception goes down by about a yard per reception. Half as many touchdowns. And that's playing with Caleb Williams, who everybody believes is the second coming of quarterbacks for the next year. And playing for Lincoln Riley, who is going to get wide receivers open. Like, what he does he's going to get wide receivers open and Caleb Williams is a great quarterback he's going to hit him and yet with playing playing most of his snaps outside at USC 
in the Pac-12, not exactly known for fantastic defensive football, his production decreased really significantly. And I I just don't see it with a guy. And and I hope he succeeds because it's a it's, he's a fun idea of a player, but I just don't see how he gets off the line of scrimmage consistently in the NFL without a ton of help formationally and all that kind of stuff. And are you really doing that for your number two? I was getting ready to say he needs to go to a creative offensive coordinator. Yes, a very creative offensive coordinator with with other receivers on the team who can consistently win against press at the line of scrimmage as an X. Because if he if he's the guy getting attention at all, he's going to be toast. And yeah. even if he's the number two, like I said, and you play against a really good team with really good man coverage corners, he's going to be toast playing against teams like that because of the fact that if I can put one guy on your number one on the other side and then one guy on him and you can't move him around all over the place, all over the formation to try to get him the football – uh, that's a tough spot for me to put a top 20 pick into, um, especially with the the decline in production in 2022, the all the factors that I've talked about. He's just a guy I just don't really see that really high-end wide receiver potential with. Um, and if he gets picked high, it's going to be because of this wide receiver class not having that really elite high-end guy some of these other guys may wind up getting pushed up a little bit to make up for that. And that will be the only case that I could make for Jordan Addison going that high. Yeah. Like I said, Addison's fluid. And I, I think that's pretty adamant on, you know, it's there on tape to see, but man, it just every, you know, he, he just, he's plays with below average physicality and pretty much everything he does. And it's just, it's tough to just be a, like you said, you mentioned Zay Flowers. You mentioned Tyler Scott. Those those guys are his size shorter, but they just play with more explosion. They play with more juice as a physical route runner. Their stems are just they're, they're not pushed off off the spot as much. And like you said, I just think he he has to go somewhere that that an offense is going to scheme him open and scheme him to to not have to deal with corners up in his face all the time which is like you said it's just one it's not something you want to have to ask of a first round pick and it's not something you want to have to ask of a guy that you're hoping can be a really 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 high end two receiver or possibly a lower end one receiver so I'm with you there like I said like I like some of the traits that Addison brings but I think he kind of needs things to to be you know high around him in order to kind of reach a potential that that makes him worth where I think he's going to get picked. Right. And it's one of those, like, I would rather have Marvin Mims in the third round than Jordan Addison in the first round. Yeah. Because they're very similar profiles from a height, weight, speed basis. And Mims just, all the things that we have questions about with, with Addison, Mims does well. And you get him two rounds later. Yep. That, that, that's really sort of what it boils down to uh, for me, for, for Addison and for the wide receiver position as a whole this year. Yep. All right. My last guy. And like I said, this is, I know this is 
I don't know if it's hot. I, I felt like I said it wouldn't have been hot not too long ago, but I guess now it is. Um, it's Anthony Richardson, um, quarterback out of Florida, who's probably going to go in the top four. I just don't see it at all. Um I mean, again, like the athletic traits are obviously tremendous. He's one of the most impressive athletes we've seen at that position in a long time. But, man, watching him play is just one of the most frustrating things when you turn on his tape. Um, You know, you try to you try to, you know, the first thing I do in scouting is you try to pull out, Okay, what do these guys do? Well, you know, what am I what am I looking at here that makes me feel like they can succeed in the NFL? And again, like the running ability and the athletic traits to be kind of a mobile mover in the pocket, out of the pocket, you know, designed runs. I think that's obviously there and it can be, a, you, we've seen it with Lamar Jackson's and stuff like that. We could see it make a, a really big impact on the game. But when you just watch, you know, I turned on the Georgia tape again the other day because that's, you know, against a really good defense. And sure, that might be a little unfair, but you're normally going to be playing pretty damn good defenses in the NFL. So you, you got to show some positive signs, um, in my opinion, uh, on tape against tough defenses. And it's just, buddy, is it is it rough? Um, you know, he doesn't target the middle of the field very often. He, you know, doesn't tar- – his stuff is – it seems to either be an, – and I love what PFF does in their – their draft guide and, and, you know, looking at their, you know, they do that heat map and his heat map, it's either a check down or it's a deep throw and his, you know, he's got a strong arm, but his deep ball accuracy and his deep ball feel for when to layer things, when to drive things, when to try to drop in the bucket. It's just a, it is a consistent work in progress. And um, like I said, the mobility is obviously there, but his accuracy is bad um his decision i think his decision making you know he fits tries to fit things into tight windows unnecessary unnecessary tight windows at times um he misses inside on deep throws down the boundary which is dangerous you always want to kind of either throw that ball deep where nobody's going to touch it or lead your receiver to the boundary to where it's his ball or nobody's ball but he misses deep and inside to where a free safety kind of making that run from the hash mark can can make plays on the ball um, he throws guys into traffic a lot, which is, is frustrating to watch because you'll have some guys open, um, you know, running some some crossers or some, you know, seam routes or, you know, some deep posts and stuff like that. And he throws right into, you know, the, the his guys right into the coverage of the safety or the linebacker or that, you know, drop that zone drop defender. And that's frustrating. And then just the the panic that he kind of plays with with his footwork um, in and outside of the pocket. It's just I don't know. Like again, I, I understand that there's some Josh Allen ceiling there because a lot of these things were things that Josh Allen did did poorly um, at Wyoming. But man, uh, he, if Carolina or one of these teams who trade in the top four, trading up, you know, premium capital for years to go in a draft to, to draft him, I would just be very, very wary of that because I just, I don't know. I think I think his his best chance at being a above average starter in the league is you know being a heavy runner um heavy designed runner and a guy who is going to use his legs more than he's going to use his arms and we've seen those guys in the league you know struggle to stay healthy at a lot of times and just struggle to play with any sort of consistency so 
a lot of people love him. A lot of people love the ceiling, but man, I'm I'm terrified of the floor. Yeah, I think I think you boiled down the conversation with Anthony Richardson right there in that last statement. In that the ceiling is almost intoxicating, where the 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 best plays are holy crap plays, right? And the uh, the but the worst plays are also holy crap plays yeah. for the for the opposite reason, and so the situation that he goes to is going to be massive. Right. And so it's like, if he, you know, everybody believes right now he's going to go in the top three or four picks. Right. If he makes it to six and goes to Detroit and gets to sit for 12 or 13 games behind Jared Goff or a full year behind Jared Goff on a competitive team and then get dropped in as the starter in year two, that's probably the best case scenario for him especially if they manage to keep Ben Johnson for another year and keep all that together. Uh, that's probably the the situation that leads to that ceiling outcome or a, a situation like that um, leads to the ceiling outcome the most often. If you have the, the, you know, the, you run a bunch of simulations, but it, it's a really hard conversation because if you don't have a quarterback in the top seven in the league or eight in the league, do you really have a shot ever? Probably not. Because even, even Jared Goff took the, took the Rams to the Super Bowl in 2018 and then got there. And because he couldn't go above and beyond what the scheme provided in the Super Bowl, they got toasted in the Super Bowl. And we've seen even Kyle Shanahan, who falls in and out of love with quarterbacks all the time and has made Nick Mullins work and Brock Purdy work and all these and Jimmy Garoppolo and all these other things work. He even said, we need more from a quarterback if we want to really have a chance to win a Super Bowl and went and made a big splash move to try to go get Trey Lance. And so that is that's the mindset that leads you to Anthony Richardson is that if we wind up in the middle ground, we're done anyway. So we may as well take the big shot here, put our careers, which is what these general managers and head coaches are doing when they make a, a really high pick on a quarterback like this, um, put our careers in with Anthony Richardson and know that if the high-end scenario works itself out, then we are going to be here for 10 years and we're going to have a chance to win Super Bowls. And if it doesn't, we're gone anyway, but we'd be gone if we were in the middle of the pack in the league for the next four years, because we wound up with a middle of the pack quarterback too. And so that's probably the justification for taking the shot, but it's also probably the same justification for not taking the shot in that if he misses, he's going to miss wildly. And unless you are Kyle Shanahan and can turn Brock Purdy into a, a capable starting quarterback, if you miss on Trey Lance, which we don't really know if he's a bad player yet, he hadn't played, but if you miss on that move, most of the time you're losing your job and you're probably not getting another shot at it for a few years. And so uh, so that's all. it's a hard thing to do, but we've seen teams that take these chances relatively often recently have them pay off. The Josh Allens, the Pat Mahomes, the, those sorts of situations. Um but what's interesting about those guys is both of those guys went to teams that traded up for them. Yeah. And so you wonder, like, 
is somebody going to trade up for – is Tampa Bay going to try to move up really high in the draft and go get Anthony Richardson? Or if Anthony Richardson makes it to seven or eight, does Tampa Bay jump up and get him the way Kansas City jumped up and grabbed Mahomes or Buffalo jumped up and grabbed Allen or you know whoever? And so he's a really, really interesting conversation that the, the consensus on him has gone through the roof because of the ceiling. Um, but it is important to talk about what the floor could be for these guys too, because it's it's that's a part of the conversation as well. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, like one of my favorite things to do, especially with quarterbacks, is obviously I'm watching you know five, six, seven games of each guy on tape. But one thing I love to do, and you know, some people might laugh at this, but one thing I love to do is I love to go to YouTube and look at an actual highlight tape of these guys. You know, like. Obviously, that's not what you want to do in scouting. But when we're talking about like the high end traits, they should all be in the highlights. And a lot, it, like I ask anybody to do this, like a lot of the the Anthony Richardson highlights on tape. And don't get me wrong, like there's some impressive deep ball throws. Um, but a lot of the stuff is mobility. And don't get me wrong, mobility is super important. Uh, but I think that he has struggles with mobility too, where he looks to run first. He leaves some clean pockets. He kind of panics under pressure. And his mobility is a strength, but it's also a weakness at times. Um, so like I said, like when I watch those highlights and I'm like, yeah, he's making a lot of plays with his legs, but the deep ball accuracies, you know, he throws to, you know, and, and the Florida scheme didn't help him a lot, but a lot of his big plays on tape are from some of those, you know, backside play action throws deep down the field where it's a bootleg and you got a guy kind of running deep down the left side of the field. And like I said, like, I, I think that there's production there and there's a ceiling there that's that's like we've talked about really high and brings you that special player. But I just like, I remember watching Josh Allen at Wyoming and just seeing him, you know, just flick his wrist and throw the ball 60, 65 yards down the field and kind of drop it in a bucket consistently to a guy who's covered. And I was like, yeah, he's raw, but, like, that's there. And, like, well, I think that's still somewhat there with Richardson. I still think it's a lot of his impressive plays in those highlight tapes that I like to turn on were still some scheme-generated, you know, open receivers. Like I said, him kind of maybe panicking in and out of the pocket type of thing and then finding the guy, you know, in the back of the end zone wide open. So, like, there's the traits are there. I, I understand it, but, man, it just seems like even getting those out of them, it took some creativity from an offensive standpoint or from him doing something crazy, you know, in or out of the pocket. So, like I said, I, I completely get the, the high-end traits. I think that that everybody knows the ceiling's high if he can tap into it. But as I, as I clamored, it's just you, if, if he fell to me at Tampa Bay's pick, I think they're picking at 19. I'd get it where Josh Allen went. Where, where did he end up? He didn't go top. Did he go top 10? Mm, let me see. I think, I feel like he was 10. I feel like he, it I was feel like, like they traded up. Right. 10. Oh, seventh, just, seventh the, overall. Yes. And did, did they trade up for him or no? I believe so. Let me okay. See. Um, I guess, like I said, like my my biggest thing is is I'm fine with a team twelve to twenty taking a chance on the traits that need a quarterback. You know, a, a Tennessee, a Tampa Bay. I I would understand it, but you know, like if Carolina traded all of that to move up to draft Anthony Richardson, I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> 
Yeah, so they traded to they traded to Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay traded with Buffalo. Let's see when Tampa picked. So I think Buffalo was they had the twelfth pick in that draft, and they also had the twenty. So they had the twenty first pick in that draft and traded up to twelve. And then trade it up from twelve to seven. Okay. Yeah, I mean, hey, it it, it could happen. Like I said, team teams. I mean, it happened with Mahomes. People, a lot of the same conversation points were with Mahomes at Texas Tech. So it happens all the time. But he's definitely mine. Where you you like you kind of mentioned, you better be right or you're going to be gone. Which you know, some of that's true. Where you take the the safer. You know, you try to go that safer route. You take a, you know, a Tanner McKee on day two or three, and he doesn't pan out, or the Davis Mills track, you know, where it's just never works out. So, I understand that side of it as well. But I just, I think it's a risky, risky move. But finding quarterbacks is tough. So that's one of the toughest things to do in this class. Yep, absolutely. All right, we got two shows left, Joey, and one of them is on draft eve. So we got a. Uh, a little bit more to talk about and like I said we're gonna we're gonna do two shows left pre-draft but we'll probably continue the conversations after the draft and breaking down each draft pick a little bit more post-draft so we'll probably be with you more than after be be with you a little bit more after the draft as well but uh make sure you're turning in next week um for the talking draft show and we're, we're counting more the countdown is on like I said we got two 15 days is what it is um so not even quite two and a half weeks until the draft. So we're excited. It's almost here. We're excited for it to be here. We're excited for it to be over. We can figure out uh, what, what the steps and what the next steps are for the, this Cowboys team to um, try to make a run at, at, at another Super Bowl. So we'll be here to talk about it. Um, the draft, like I said, we'll, we're, we're still trying to figure out if we're going to do anything special for the draft this year. But we'll make sure we have any information for you guys over these next two shows. But we thank you guys for tuning in. Talking to Draft Podcast, and see you guys next week. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.